0: Here it is!
1: From deep inside your radio. Why not start with a burst of technical excellence? That's what I always say. Ladies and gentlemen, I got a secret for you. It's been difficult for American chemical companies to crack the European market, don't you know? Because the safety standards in Europe are tougher than they are in the United States. Those stupid Europeans with the safety standards. That might be changing. You know about the... uh, Pending so called free trade deal. Uh, The U.S. is negotiating two of them, one with uh, Asian countries and one with uh, the European Union. This is the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership. It might include broad changes in how products that contain chemicals, including cosmetics and cleaners, are regulated on both sides of the Atlantic. A wide variety of chemicals used in manufacturing. A lot of products are available in the U.S., but banned in the EU because they've been linked to cancer and birth defects. Those stupid Europeans. This is according to McClatchy newspapers. The chemical industry, you know what they'd like? Guess. A unified set of standards. It argues that domestic U.S. regulations for chemicals are based on science, while the European prohibitions are based on precaution. How stupid are those Europeans? The effect, the industry says, is to block American products from finding new markets. And isn't that really what we're all about? Our industry cannot afford to have the EU, EU set up another enormous barrier to trade, says the vice president and senior lobbyist for the Society of Chemical Manufacturers. We don't really know what is actually being negotiated because it's being kept secret. You know that the, both these uh, so-called trade treaties, the Asian one and the European one. The negotiations are being conducted in secret, although industry representatives are invited to briefings on the progress of those talks. Said uh, a non-industry watchdog, it appears the EU and U.S. regulators have bought the chemical industry's argument that this trade deal should go beyond trade to regulation. Celia Wexler of the Union of Concerned Scientists said it was very hard to know what was happening and who was there of a public stakeholders meeting on the trade pact held recently. European standards require companies to submit new chemicals to testing before they can be placed on the market. Is that primitive or what? Chemicals already in use also have to pass the tests, you see, whereas when the U.S. passed a similar law, it affected only new products those already in use were grandfathered in so we don't really know what they do to us for cosmetics EU requires products to undergo testing in the US the FDA leaves it up to the manufacturer to determine a product safety don't you really trust Revlon more than you trust the government (laughs) I know spick and span and scrubbing bubbles can't get into the EU because of the chemicals they contain some bakers in the U.S. use potassium bromate to improve flour. It's improved by the use of potassium bromate. The EU bans it because it's a carcinogen. That's the improvement it brings. It makes the baked product more carcinogenic. It's a nutty kind of improvement, but it's... And now, what the frack? Energy companies, this I think we didn't know... Until this week, I didn't. Energy companies have used thousands of gallons of diesel fuel to frack for oil and gas. Using oil to find oil. That's like the uh, having to turn off the nuclear plants because the cooling water is too hot because of the thing. Uh, they've used thousands of gallons of diesel fuel to frack for oil and gas without ob- obtaining the necessary permits required under federal law. This is according to the Environmental Integrity Project. 351 wells in 12 states that use diesel in fracking, because diesel contains carcinogens and neurotoxins. That's why it's not used in flour, the neurotoxins. The carcinogens are okay. Its use in fracking is regulated by the EPA, requiring that the companies meet a set of guidelines. The report, though, found that no states had issued permits for the 351 wells. Industry groups say they, well, they're phasing out diesel. The EPA says it's reviewing the Integrity Project's report. Uh, The industry group Energy in Depth said the Integrity Project has abused the data. They say the uh, 351 wells constitute less than 0.5% of the more than 77,000 wells registered on a website where companies voluntarily post information about the substances they use in their fracking fluids. Because of the voluntary nature of the site, though, companies can choose to exclude various fracking chemicals as trade secrets. More secrets for you. But the Environmental Protection Agency – sorry, the Environmental Integrity Project released a report that also alleged kerosene had been used in fracking wells, drawn from Well Operators Disclosures, a uh, company in Topeka in Kansas. Shell Woolsey uh, supposedly used petroleum hydrocarbon oil as part of the fracking, although the owner denies it. The owner, Wayne Woolsey, says he didn't recall much about the specific wells, but he says his company has never used oil or other hydro- hydrocarbons. He said using oil used to be a common practice in the industry, but it's fallen out of favor, and his company only used a friction inhibitor. Mmm. See you tonight, Wayne. If you took the sand out, you could drink that stuff, he said. All right, Wayne. Five hundred dollars if you drink that stuff, right here, right now. Come on, babe. It's a it's, a, it's an old gag. I remember when uh, Jerry Brown's chief of staff drank uh, a uh, pesticide, drank a glass of pesticide to prove how safe it was. And I don't know if he's still alive. I I sure hope so. Also, what the frack? It's been two years since New, uh, North Dakota state regulators. We're bragging about a record $1.5 million fine against the company for illegally dumping 20,000 barrels of toxic liquid and threatening drinking water supplies near a large western North Dakota city that now dissolves companies under federal investigation. The penalty is unpaid, and the affected site still contaminated. Aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how do you enjoy the fracking? And energy companies are fracking for oil and gas at far shallower depths than widely believed sometimes right through underground sources of drinking water, according to research released this week by Stanford University scientists. This is in Wyoming. They showed no direct evidence of water supply contamination. But you know that the industry has long said, you can't possibly damage the aquifers because we're drilling so much deeper. Fracking into underground drinking water sources is not prohibited by the 2005 Energy Policy Act, which exempted fracking from key provisions of the Safe Drinking Water Act. I wonder who, who got that to happen. How did that happen? Who made that? The industry, of course, says it drills far deeper, but this study found that energy companies used acid stimulation, don't tell Tim Leary, and hydraulic fracturing in the Wind River and Fort Union geological formations, and both contain natural gas and sources of drinking water. The scientists cautioned their research does not say drinking water has been contaminated, but they say there's no way of knowing the effects of fracking into groundwater resources because regulators have not assessed the scope and impact of the activity. Those damn regulators, who do they think they are, Europeans? And, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, big story of the week, of course, Ferguson, Missouri, Missouri, and the site of uh, militarized, Looking police on the streets in the wake of the killing of an unarmed young African-American man. Uh, I don't think a lot of the coverage has given due emphasis to the reason why local communities have military vehicles, military weapons, military kit, as the Brits say, military outfits, these days, they get them at bargain basement prices from the Defar- Department of Defense, thanks to uh, a program called the 1033 program. I think the Washington Post was the first this week to report it. And the Washington Post was one, among the few that I've seen that pointed out with some strength that the rationale for sending military equipment to local police forces was the war on drugs. So when you saw Ferguson Police this week, you were looking at your brain on the war on drugs. Hello, welcome to the show. London, England, where it, for the last, well, about a week and a half, it's already been autumn. The, the weather guys had said goodbye to summer, uh, like at the start of last week, and uh, boy, were they right. Congratulations. Thanks, fellas. And now, uh, oh, from London, England, this is, I'm Harry Shearer. I forgot to say the, the, that part. I'm, I'm so bitter about the weather. Harry Shearer, welcome you to this edition of the show, and now, ladies and gentlemen... Time for me to read the trades for you. On a related subject to what I was just talking about. A couple of media-related trade items for you. And I will read them for you. from jimromanesco.com which is a uh, website that follows the journalism trade a memo written by the deputy managing editor at the New York Daily News Digital from Christina Everett to web editors notes on Robin Williams stories and heads. Thank you to everyone I'm quoting now. Thank you to everyone who did a great story with keeping our stories search engine optimized strong with the Robin Williams dead at 63 header for the first 24 hours. Starting tomorrow morning, we can scale back on the robot talk, meaning no death header, just as long as the stories continue to start with his full name and include buzzy search words like death, dead, suicide, etc. Unquote. The Deputy Managing Editor of Entertainment at New York Daily News Digital. Buzzy words like death, dead, and suicide. It's working, by the way. A Google search for Robin Williams dead at 63 put the New York Daily News at the top. That is, ladies and gentlemen, called search engine optimization. And in case you're not depressed enough about journalism, Cumulus Radio, they own the former ABC radio stations, they've struck an exclusive radio deal with CNN that will provide its radio stations with content from CNN. Research suggested stations were looking for something more reflective of today's listeners, says Cumulus CEO Lou Dickey. It's a differentiated product. For some who want hard news, this isn't the service. But there are fewer of those types of stations across the country. The emphasis is more on shorter stories, less hard news, and give it to me when I want it, said Dickey. He said many more stories were driven by what's happening on social media. On the other hand, Senior Vice President and General Manager for CNN's news operation, news source, said, quote, people that are serious about the business of news are in business with CNN, unquote. Notice, he said the business of news, not serious about news. Because to quote Lou Dickey, for some who want hard news, this isn't the service. Sure, it's a healthy democracy. What's your problem? Question I raise when I read the trades for you. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm. award-winning news of the war. Hey, we're all award-winning around here. Ice discharge, pardon me, from Antarctica could contribute up to 37 centimeters to the global sea level rise within a century, a new study shows. For the first time, an international team of scientists have provided a comprehensive estimate on the full range of Antarctica's potential contribution to global sea level rise based on physical computer simulations. I don't know what physical computer simulations means, but this is from phys.org. Led by the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research, the study combines a whole set of -of state-of-the-art climate models... They're pretty. And observational data with various ice models. You can't get to first base with those. The results reproduce Antarctica's recent contribution to sea level rise, as observed by satellites in the last two decades, and show that the ice continent could become the largest contributor to sea level rise much sooner than was previously thought. They're not right now. But that will change. Rising sea level is widely regarded as a current and ongoing result of climate change that directly felt affects hundreds of millions of coastal dwellers around the world, says co author Robert Binschadler from NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. The scientists analyzed how global, rising global mean temperatures resulted in a warming of the ocean around Antarctica, thus influencing the melting of the Antarctic ice shelves. And the continent currently contributes less than 10% to global sea level rise and is a minor contributor compared to the thermal expansion of the warming oceans and melting mountain glaciers. It's Greenland and especially the Antarctic ice sheets with their huge volume of ice that are expected to be the major contributors to future long-term sea level rise. The marine ice sheets in West Antarctica alone have the potential to elevate sea level by several meters over several centuries. So, But you won't be talking to your grandchildren anyway, will you? From research stations drifting on ice flows to high-tech aircraft radar, scientists have been tracking the depth of snow that accumulates on Arctic sea ice for almost a century. We've gone to the other pole, in case you haven't noticed. Now that people are more concerned than ever about what is happening at the poles, research led by the University of Washington and NASA confirms that damn NASA. If you defunded them, this whole climate, uh, this research confirms that snow has thinned significantly in the Arctic, particularly on sea ice in western waters near Alaska. Sarah Palin could see the sea ice from there. A new study, accepted for publication in the Journal of Geophysical Research, Oceans, combines data collected by ice boys, (laughs) I will resist, and NASA aircraft with historic data from ice flows staffed by Soviet scientists in the uh, latter part of the 20th century. The authors compared the data by NASA, Airborne Surveys, Over the last four years, with U.S. Army Corps of Engineers boys frozen into the sea ice and the earlier Soviet data, such results showed the snowpack has thinned from 14 inches to 9 inches in the Western Arctic, from 13 inches to 6 inches in the Beaufort and Chukchi Seas west and north of the Alaska thing. That's a decline in the Western Arctic of about a third. The authors speculate the reason for the thinner snow. Maybe that surface freeze-up is happening later in the fall, so the year's heaviest snowfalls in September and October mostly fall into the ocean, open ocean. Well, wouldn't that help chill the ocean? Thinner snow has uh, other effects for animals that use snow to make dens, and for low-light microscopic plants that grow underneath the sea ice and form the base of the Arctic food web. Listen, if you're eating microscopic creatures, I don't even want it. I don't even want you listening to this broadcast. A set of studies based on three years of research concludes that by 2040, the need for drinking water and water for use in energy... Oh, I think I shared that with you on an earlier broadcast. Why would I do that again? And researchers surveying the Arctic Ocean seafloor have discovered something particularly unsettling for many climatologists. Plumes of methane, particularly potent greenhouse gas, are rising in tiny, ominous bubbles from the ocean floor... Why exactly this is happening remains unclear. Initial speculation is tying it to warming temperatures and ice melt. You know by now methane is a much more potent greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. A major study of all penguin species suggests the birds are at continuing risk from habitat degradation. Fortunately, we've animated them. Writing in the journal Conservation Biology, scientists recommend the adoption of measures to mitigate against a range of effects, including food security, where fisheries compete for the same resources with the cute breeds, being caught in fishing nets, oil pollution, and climate change, mitigating those, the scientists are suggesting. This included included the establishment of marine protected areas, although the authors acknowledge this might might not always be practical. A number of other ecologically based management methods could also be implemented. Populations of many penguin species have declined substantially over the past two decades, but we have the cartoons. A new research by a Florida State University geography professor shows that climate change may be playing a key role in the strength and frequency of tornadoes hitting the United States. They've not really had much. uh, uh, We've not really seen much effect of climate change on the strength and frequency of hurricanes. Certainly not this year. Knock on everything published in the journal Climate Dynamics Professor James Elsner writes that though tornadoes are forming fewer days per year they're forming at a greater density and strength than ever before News of the War ladies and gentlemen copyrighted feature of this broadcast and speaking of copyrighted features The Apologies of the Week We're so sorry. First to Australia where federal treasurer Joe Hockey had made a comment that his government's uh, new proposed changes to the fuel tax will hit higher incomes higher, harder because poor people don't have cars or actually don't drive very far. That's what he had originally said. And then he was on the radio. I
0: am really, genuinely sorry that there is any suggestion any suggestion at all that I or the government does not care for the most disadvantaged in the community. I'm sorry about that interpretation. I'm sorry about the words.
1: He's sorry about everything. Joe Hockey. No comment from Dexter Baseball. Nate line Sydney, in Australia. Hospital apologized this week after mistakenly sending out death notices for 200 of its very much alive patients. Austin Hospital in Australia's second most popular city, Melbourne erroneously killed off the patients when it faxed death notices to their family doctors. The result of an inadvertent change to the templates the hospital sends to doctors once a patient has been discharged. We unreservedly apologize to affected clinics who, for the most part, were very understanding about the error, said the hospital. The Australian Medical Association said the error was unacceptable and potentially distressing to family doctors. An apology from St. Louis TV station KSDK Quote, yesterday we showed the video of the Ferguson police officer's home, the one who was named as the shooter. Uh, in the 5 p.m. news, but did not mention the address of the home, KSDK immediately felt using the video was a mistake and pulled the video from the, of the home from future newscasts and from our website. We have not used the video since then and do not intend to do so. We apologize to our audience, to the surrounding neighborhoods, and to the greater St. Louis community, and to the officer for our mistake. Agence France-Presse. A leading international wire service based in France had uploaded, uh, had received from a stringer a low resolution image of what he claimed was Sinjar in uh, Kurdistan. The AFP syndicated it out to its clients across the globe, but the image was stolen from famed photojournalist Lindsay Adario and was taken in Syria last year for the New York Times. On Facebook, the AFP said, We wish to publicly express our deepest apologies to the renowned photojournalist for the mistake we made on our photo wire we wrongly used one of her pictures we discovered the mistake the following day we immediately issued a mandatory kill asking our subscribers not to use the picture we're all aware of lindsay's reputation and have immense respect for her work which makes this mistake even more painful we will take every measure possible to avoid any such mistakes in the future very serious steps are being taken to find where we failed in the editorial process rebuild confidence in the strength of our ethical and editorial standards wow they sound mortified a Hamilton on now we go ladies and gentlemen to the apologies let's see do we have one more before that no we go direct to the apologies that have followed in the wake of the news about Robin Williams this week a Hamilton, Ontario police sergeant apologized after posting a tweet saying Robin Williams' death set a bad example for others with mental illness. Sergeant Jay Turner posted a message on Twitter saying, Dear Robin Williams, I truly wish you could have chosen to set a better example for those suffering with mental health challenges. Jay, many of those, his name is Jay, Sergeant Jay Turner, many of who saw the tweet responded with messages calling the comment disgraceful or inappropriate. Following the reaction, Turner deleted the tweet or tweeted delete, apologizing, in a series of messages for offending those who saw the message. I'm human. I made a tweet from my heart. I felt it was right. It was not received as it felt in my heart. I apologize to those I offended. Don't tweet from your heart, babe. Tweet from the bloody head. Uh, Shepard Smith, at the end of his hour-long special on the suicide of Robin Williams, the Fox News anchor read a quote from the late actor-comedian about his children. Smith then said, quote, They're inspiring you and exciting you, and they fill you up with a kind of joy you could never have known, but something inside you is so horrible or you're such a coward or whatever the reason that you decide you have to end it, unquote. Smith was immediately criticized for using the word coward. Quote, the last thing I would ever suggest about a man I knew nothing about personally is that he's a coward. That goes against everything I am. If those words I used so innocently offended his family from the bottom of my heart, I could not be more sorry. If. Could not be. CNN Entertainment reporter Nichelle Turner Used the word demons when describing Warren Williams' mental state. She apologized on air. I've been getting a lot of feedback from the mental health community in using that word. A lot of times when we're doing live coverage, we say things and we're talking and we don't realize what we're saying. Just pausing to let that sink in for you, ladies and gentlemen. It's from CNN, a CNN entertainment reporter. She continued, however, they're absolutely correct that it is a disease. So I apologize for using the word demons. ABC News got some social media pushback for promoting a live feed of aerial uh, views of William's home. In a statement, ABC News said, when we realized there was no news value to the live stream, we took it down immediately. Our intention was not to be insensitive to his family, friends and fans. For that, we apologize. And an internationally famed public relations firm, Edelman, that's the name of the company, found itself. In the hot seat this week, it's usually involved in helping brands avoid or disentangle themselves from public backlash. They were the subject of the backlash. The issue was a blog post from Lisa Kovitz, uh, vice president for media relations strategy. Three nouns in a row there, media relations strategy at Edelman. She said the suicide of comedian Robin Williams created a PR opportunity for groups advocating for better treatment of mental illness. We must recognize it as an opportunity to engage in a national conversation. His death created a carpe diem moment for mental health professionals and those people who have suffered with depression and want to make a point about the condition and the system that treats it. Most of the backlash likely stemmed from an article written at the website Gawker calling Edelman a soulless PR conglomerate using a celebrity suicide to promote his own expertise. Edelman uh, tweeted an apology. Quote, we apologize to anyone we offended with our post. We did not intend to capitalize on the passing of a great actor who contributed so much. However, on Edelman's own website, as opposed to the tweet, the language was, we apologize to anyone offended by this post, as opposed to anyone we offended. You know, the passive voice is such an active thing. And actor Todd Bridges... Took to Twitter just moments after the news hit the web, calling the alleged suicide, the alleged calling the suicide, quote, a very selfish act, unquote. It's a very selfish act. You're not thinking about your family, your friends, or your fans, said Todd Bridges. Much better way, get help, or if you know someone like that, get them help, even if it means getting them locked up in a psychiatric hospital, unquote. Bridges has since removed the tweets from, oh, uh, sorry, if I did that what I am I showing my children that when it gets tough that's the way out? No, you gotta buckle down, ask God to help you. That's when prayer really comes into effect. Unquote from Bridge's second tweet. He has, of course, detweeted the leets from his page and issued a an apology. I would like to apologize for the terrible timing of my comments that I made in reference to the untimely death of Robin Williams. My best friend committed suicide a few months ago. I was devastated to discover he did not solicit my help. I'm sure that my attitude toward Williams' death was a delayed reaction I apologize. Again, I apologize for my negative comment, and I ask forgiveness for any pain that I have caused anyone. Hey, Todd, unquote Todd Bridges. Todd, don't just apologize, Ben. Pray. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
0: See slipped away anymore more
1: Now, ladies and gentlemen, the new Iraq. Here's what we know as the week ended. There either are or there aren't still a lot of Yazidis on Mount Sinjar. My favorite kind of jar. The U.S. says not as many as we feared, not as big a humanitarian catastrophe as we first thought at the beginning of the week. We're going to stop um, the drops. We figured out how to drop food on them. It didn't kill them. Now we're going to stop uh, Yazidi representatives, both in Washington and here in Europe, are saying, no, wait, there's still a lot of them up there on the mountain. Meanwhile, as the news readers like to say, meanwhile, in Baghdad, the um, longtime U.S.-picked Prime Minister, Nouri al-Maliki, who uh, for weeks has been insisting that he was going to stay on uh, because his party got the most votes in the recent election. But, you know, elections from elections. Uh, the United States and other international players decided that Maliki was uh, bad for the future of Iraq because he was uh, determinedly Shiite and was excluding Sunnis from the government and from uh, other perks. And this was leading to uh, some of the support that Sunnis were lending to IS, the Islamic State, which is uh, ravaging northern parts of northern Iraq, uh, uh, trying to establish a caliphate with the parts of Syria that they already control. So uh, to bring the Sunnis back into the fold, the United States was putting major pressure on Maliki to resign, even though, as I say, his party got the most votes in the recent election. Early this week, the president of Iraq named a different man, Mr. Abadi, to be the new prime minister. Uh, there was some uh, toing and froing. ing Maliki ha- had uh, amassed uh, troops in the green zone, and there was a lot of fear that he was uh, girding for a fight to stay in power. And then suddenly, as if a switch was flipped somewhere, or were flipped somewhere, uh, Mr. Maliki late in the week announced he was giving up power. And uh, the international community, and what a community it is, heaved a sigh of relief that at least that problem was out of the way for the moment. To get some uh, needed perspective on all this, we turn uh, on our newsmaker line to uh, a gentleman who's been a, a periodic caller to this program since we first discovered him. Gee, way back in I sometime around the time of the initial U.S. invasion of Iraq, he was at the time one of Saddam Hussein's 32 known lookalikes that Saddam used to proffer in public uh, appearances so that he didn't raise his chances of assassination. What was he afraid of? Uh, but he's now on the line with us. Uh, Shab Shab, welcome back to the show.
2: Thank you, Mr. Shireer. I thought the introduction would never end.
1: Well, I was just trying to give people some perspective. Too much perspective. <laughs> Thanks for the hat tip. <laughs> so, Shab Shab, uh, last we talked to you, you were um, still in your business uh Post being a Saddam lookalike yeah. of selling high-end audio gear, yes, and uh, as I recall, you'd you'd come out with a line of Saddam Hussein branded headphones. Yes, how's that going?
2: Well, initially, Mister Shireer, a bit of trouble. No. Oh. Uh, People were buying them, you mm-hmm. know, uh, like hotcakes.
1: Oh, and were they?
2: Uh, no, they weren't trying to eat them. No, oh, okay. Uh, they did put them on, and they uh, complained that uh, both the sound quality mm-hmm. and the fit of the headphone itself mm-hmm. uh, was hurting them, yeah. hurting their ears.
1: Well, uh, I would imagine that's not that was not good for sales, uh, word of mouth, and so forth. You
2: would imagine that, sir, and you would be wrong. Mm. I and my marketing people uh, viewed that as a speed bump, (laughs) and we came up with a marketing campaign that uh, turned that lemon Mm -hmm. into lemon meringue pie, as you would. Ah. We decided on an advertising campaign that uh, just had a face Mm. wearing these headphones Mm -hmm. that looked like Saddam Hussein, Ah. and the headline was, Sheer Torture, (laughs) and... um,
1: I can see where that was trading on the reputation of uh, the late leader of Iraq, Uh, and as a Saddam lookalike, I imagine you posed for the photograph. No,
2: sir, I did not. uh, You may recall uh, a few years back, Mm -hmm. I talked to you about uh, considering a decision I had to make Mm -hmm. at the time, which was as follows, should I, given the the changed political circumstances and the, uh, at the time, lack of, of popularity of Shaddam uh, changed my appearance mm. Uh, in some way, yes, uh, undergo some plastic surgery.
1: Yes, I, I, um, I do recall that. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you decide to do that? And, and what did you just I mean, you'd got rid of the, of the mustache, of but I mean, just changed your nose a little bit and just did some subtle no, no, things. No, no, no,
2: no, no, no. Mr. Sirius, mm-hmm. I was uh, deciding that uh, the lookalike business was uh, such a good one for me, mm-hmm. the uh, high end audio at the time was uh, going off a cliff.
0: Yeah, to I remember. Uh,
2: have a- Plastic surgery to look more like Nuri Al Maliki, <laughs> and uh, figuring he would be afraid of assassination, yes, inevitably, of yes. and he would want lookalikes, and mm-hmm. there I would be. Of course, yes. <laughs> uh, so no, I, I had to uh, for the ad campaign, uh, sheer torture, uh, Saddam Hussein headphones. <laughs> I had the humiliation, Mr. Shireel, yes. and the mortification, if you will, yes. of having to hire one of the other Saddam lookalikes who had been my competitor for years. I would have killed him then. And now I'm here I was giving him money.
1: Oh, God, that must have hurt. Well, it um, not
2: hurt nearly as much, Mr. Scherer, as what happened this week. Uh, uh, you know, you, 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 you hitch your wagon uh, to a star. Yes. And then you find out that your star is basically just a, a red dwarf. Uh, and uh, here I am now with features that are, are worth less than uh, if I just uh, stayed with Saddam. Saddam is now experiencing a comeback, I don't think Nuri al-Maliki will experience a comeback before uh, uh, everyone has forgotten the
1: Qadarsians. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a very long time. So you are uh, upset with uh, Prime Minister Maliki's decision to um, relinquish power.
2: He's taking food out of the of my children. Now, how many
1: children do you have?
2: Uh, Mr. Sharia, Those were metaphorical children I was brandishing in your ear. Ah. But uh, the point is this. Mm. Uh, I went to the trouble Mm -hmm. at the expense of looking like Nuri al-Malik feeling, here is a man who is a strong man, Mm -hmm. who knows what what Iraqis need, is Mm -hmm. a strong man, Mm -hmm. and is is there for the duration. A strong man does not walk away. A strong man says, come if you can come unseat me mm. and uh, he, he, he melted like an ice sculpture swan at some uh, debutante's wedding
1: he unseated himself basically I unseat
2: him with, with a sledgehammer at this point Mister <laughs> <Chisholm. laughs> but no, this is so unlike uh, us, our, our people. Really? We are not. Uh, oh, please after you. Oh, please after you. Mm. That is not the Iraqi way.
1: What? would what, what? It would be the Iraqi way. <laughs> I, I don't think Americans really. No, have you a...
2: really don't. Uh, obviously, <laughs> after all this time. Well, the Iraqi way is the headphones hurt. Put them on. Turn them up.
1: <laughs> you, you, you turn my question into a marketing opportunity, Mister
2: Sirir. That is the Iraqi way.
1: Ironic. Shabshab, we have you on the line. Yes. Of course, there are. Uh, indications that the future of iraq as a an entity as a intact country may be in jeopardy uh yes, do you have any feelings about the the possibility that iraq may uh become Th- three different uh, national entities? Spit
2: it out, Mr. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, I, you know, I am an Iraqi. Mm-hmm. I feel myself an Iraqi, and mm-hmm. yet I have to acknowledge that uh, the future of this country is in grave danger. Yeah. There are centrifugal forces yes. that are at work. Yes. And uh, So let's uh, analyze it uh, from a very specific standpoint, okay. if you will. I will. Uh, the Kurds are the only people in uh, what we know today as Iraq, mm-hmm. who are prepared to spend serious money on audio equipment. Ah. They are passionate consumers of high-end audio gear, uh-huh. and they have the oil money to back it up. Uh-huh. Uh, the Sunnis, on the other hand, yes. uh, these are the people who are the market for Saddam Hussein headphones. Mm. They still revere Saddam. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want him on their head.
1: Uh-huh.
2: The Shiites, I have no idea in the world what to sell them.
1: Okay, well, that's a fair uh, summation. Mm-hmm. as, as Shop, shop. I'm yeah. going to have to let you go, but I want to ask you one more question before I do. Yes, sir. Uh, do you have any plans now that Mr. Abadi is uh, set to form the new uh, Iraqi government mm. uh, to have your appearance changed again? Perhaps I, I, to...
2: I, I don't want to look like him. I don't want to look like anybody in power. Mm. I don't even want to look like myself, Mrs. No. I have no idea uh, what to do to uh, look less like Mr. Maliki, except to indulge my uh, passion for fatty foods and uh, just
1: his facial characteristics in the sea of ever dupois well uh, classy way to end this uh, conversation Thank you. shamb best of luck with uh, however you look and uh, Thank you. of course with the headphones shamb shamb uh, our guest here today on the newsmaker line on the show
2: he's not a general and now let us no troops. he's not an inspector he peeks at no
1: stoops he's an inspector General. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, news of the Inspector's General, for your listening pleasure. At least I hope it's pleasure. Um, the FBI unintentionally spied on the communications data of some Americans who were not the targets of investigations. Why? Because of typographical errors. That's according to the Justice Department's Inspector General. He concluded in a report this week that the FBI has improved its overall handling of national security letters. These are uh, these secret alternatives to subpoenas. They permit the agency to collect telephone and Internet data of suspects believed to be tied to a national security investigation, but the Inspector General identified a number of areas that require additional effort and attention, such as a tendency to collect data on the wrong person because of routine mistakes. Quote, we found the FBI's corrective measures have not completely eliminated potential intelligence violations resulting from typographical errors in the identification of a telephone number, email address, or Social Security in a national security letter. Continuing, these typographical errors cause the FBI to request and in some instances receive the information of someone other than the intended target. Uh, the Inspector General looked at the National Security Letter Program from 2005 to, to uh, 2007 to 2009. The improvements that have been put into effect are better guidance and training to FBI personnel, a new record-keeping practice, <laughs> they don't throw them away, and periodic reviews of how national security letters are used. A footnote in the public revert, a version of the Inspector General's report, says the inspector general thinks the FBI demanded too many redactions in the inspector general's unclassified report, which have the effect, said the IG, of redacting information that we believe is important to the public's understanding of the FBI's compliance with national security letter requirements. It added that some of the blackouts involved information that, quote, is the same or substantially similar to information included in previous reports on national security letters. Well, let's go back and reclassify them. National security letters don't require a judge's approval. And in general, the FBI bars companies such as Google or Facebook that receive such requests for user user data from ever revealing that fact publicly. So if you're the recipient of of such attention and you're the wrong person, you have no idea why. Because it's a secret. News of inspectors general, ladies and gentlemen. The copyright to feature this broadcast and now news of the friend, the Adam. Safe to
2: meet her. Safe cheap to meet her. Chief
1: safe to meet her. Safe safe to meet her. Adam is off this week, but. Um An extensive new report written by the Committee on Lessons Learned from the Fouke Nuclear Accident devoted an entire chapter to assessing the safety culture of nuclear facilities. The report recommends that regulators, such as the NRC, guard against erosion of their independence from outside influences. Never too late. That regulators and industry continually monitor safety culture and that both increase their transparent communication with the public about efforts to assess and improve safety culture. The committee quickly came to understand that the lack of a strong safety culture was an important contributing factor to the Fukushima accident, the authors write. The, also came, the committee also came to appreciate the role that nuclear safety culture, the important role that it plays in nuclear plant and operations and regulations in the United States. The report notes both Japan and the U.S. have issued statements that would seemingly signal a commitment to a strong safety-oriented organizational culture. After Fuke, however, it became apparent that in Japan there was a wide gulf between these statements and their implement- implementation. There's also work underway to establish metrics with which to measure safety culture. But the report says gaps remain. The NRC's policy statement has no mechanism of enforcement. The industry lacks the authority to enforce many of its safety culture recommendations. And the committee was divided on whether our NRC may be succumbing to a level of regulatory capture by the industry akin to Japan's. Some members note the NRC committed itself about 15 years ago to increased industry participation in regulatory activities. This led to the establishment of some voluntary programs instead of direct regulation. Participation in the voluntary programs varies, leaving no assurance of consistency. It's all voluntary, like the fracking thing. Construction on a barrier between an underground fire at the Bridgeton landfill near St. Louis and radioactive materials in the adjacent West Lake landfill has been delayed. Federal regulators are asking why. There's some radioactive material that could catch on fire. But not to worry. And... Studies are now beginning to reveal serious biological effects of the Fouke radiation. A series of articles summarizing these studies has been published in the Journal of Heredity. These describe widespread impacts ranging from popul- well, to genetic damage. Calum, to all the published studies, is the hypothesis that chronic low-dose exposure to ionizing radiation results in genetic damage and increased mutation rates. News of the Atom, ladies and gentlemen. Clean, cheap, safe. Too genetically hip to ignore. It is our friend, the Adam. And just following up on the whole BP Deepwater Horizon thing. Yeah, I know, the commercials say everything's good now. But Gulf Coast oyster harvests have declined dramatically in the four years since the spill. Even after a modest rebound last year, thousands of acres of oyster beds were oiled from the well-washed ashore are producing less than a third of their pre-spill harvest. Thanks, BP. Just walk by their headquarters. You know where it is? London. Isn't that nutty? Antibacterial hand soap, sitting next to your sink. The chemical that makes it work is called triclosan. It's in tons of products, and it's in our bodies, and the bodies of pregnant women. Research- researchers looking at pregnant women in New York, <laughs> I know, that's their job, found that 100% of them had triclosan in their urine, according to Health Day. They also found triclocarban, another antibacterial chemical, in over 85% of the women. Triclosan was also found in over 50% of the samples of umbilical cord blood taken from the women, indicating the chemical can be transmitted to developing fetuses. And best of all, it may not even work. Scaring away those bacteria, I mean. Oh, it works in getting into your blood. But who uses cleaning products and cosmetics anyway? Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America, via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet 7.49 megahertz shortwave, on the Mighty 104 in Berlin, around the world, via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived, whenever you want it, harryshear.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from ww.no.org, SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, and iTunes. And it would be just like winning an Emmy if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Seriously, I'd like to thank the Academy. The email address for this broadcast and a playlist of the music heard here on available at HarryShearer.com. As are cars I talk T-shirts. Need I need I say more? Chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO in New Orleans and to Ed, you're in the bottom at Global Radio here in London for help with today's broadcast. None of them was responsible for the technical mistake at the start of the show, by the way. That was Mr. Thumbs right here. Hey, I'm on Twitter. Look at me. At the Harry Shurer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans. Flagship station of the Changes Easy radio network. So long from London...